The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Let's come around the Word of God. If you've got your Bibles, please go ahead, grab those. You see, I'm fair, all right? I'm fair. And for the last time in our current series, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, Hebrews 13. If you're new with us today, we are concluding a sermon series called Transforming Faith in the Faithful Gods. And in this series, we've been experiencing, we've been reflecting on really the transformative power and influence of the grace of God in the gospel. And so when we started the series a few weeks ago, we looked at being transformed to love to love God, love each other, be hospitable toward each other. Then we looked at being transformed to serve. Last week, we looked at being transformed to follow, that is follow godly transformed leaders. And this week, we're going to be thinking about being transformed for loyalty, that is loyalty to Christ, which is really just a fancy way of saying that since we've been made new creations through God's spectacular grace in Jesus, we ought to live for Jesus even in this world that is sometimes hostile to Jesus. And so Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to jump in at verse 8 and read down to verse 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The references will be on the screen. If you are relatively new to the faith or you're exploring Christianity and you don't own a Bible, We've got some gift Bibles to give away. You can grab one on your way to church this morning. That's our gift to you. So here we go. Here's the text, Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, there's a reason why this verse is the most popular verse, famous verse in this book, and we'll see why at the end of this sermon. Verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Father, as we come around this word, Lord, as we conclude this series, as we conclude this book, I pray, Lord, that you would give us minds to comprehend what we have in your Son. Lord, I pray that you would move in power, Lord. Your spirit would come this morning, Lord, as we gather under your word, Lord, to heed your word, to receive your word. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would leave this place completely transformed to follow you, our faithful, loyal God. Lord, we pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. So, 
As we conclude, as we close off our series in Hebrews 13, we're going to consider in our passage, which is really a mini-shops version of the whole book of Hebrews, really what the main concern of the author has been. As we've journeyed through this book last year, our Better Than series, his main concern is loyalty. He's calling these believers to remain loyal to Christ, and simultaneously, he warns against disloyalty to Jesus. And so as we come to this concluding text, we're going to notice a few things about loyalty. Number one, we're going to see the danger of disloyalty. Two, the call to loyalty. And three, the power for loyalty. Danger of disloyalty, call to loyalty, and the power for loyalty. Where do we get the power to actually remain loyal to Jesus Christ? And so first up then, the danger of disloyalty. At the beginning of verse 9, Our author, inspired author, issues a caution. He says, do not be carried away. That's a caution, right? There's a danger inherent in this text. He says, do not be carried away, that is carried away from Jesus, by strange teachings, all kinds of strange teachings. Now, this command, do not be carried away, is a striking image that he's painting for us. It's a vivid picture. It's as someone steps into a river, a fast-flowing river, and is swept off their feet, knocked off their feet, and carried downstream. That's the image behind this caution. And it seems, because of the Greek tense that our author uses, that some within this small church, it wouldn't have been a very big church, a house church, possibly the size of Stanton and Josephine's Connect Group, all right, about 20, 25 people, some in this church had already been disloyal to Jesus by being carried away because of these strange teachings. And so he's writing to these guys remaining in the church, urging them not to follow suit not to give in to the temptation of, of forsaking the gospel. And so he encouraged them to be loyal. Now, we're not too sure exactly what these strange teachings were that were threatening, I guess, the faithfulness and the commitment and the loyalty of these believers. But we can take a calculated guess, a stab at it, judging by the language and the metaphors that our author gives us in verses 9, 10, and 11. It seems that these believers, these Christian believers, were tempted to revert back to a form of Judaism. In other words, they had come to Christ the Savior, the great fulfillment in Jesus. They had experienced that, but then they would be tempted to go back to Moses. And we know that because of some of the things that our author says. And so in verse 9, he talks about ceremonial foods. In verse 10, he talks about the altar and the tabernacle. In verse 11, he talks about the holy you know, high priest and the most holy place and the sacrifice. And so all these references, when you pull them together, clearly refer back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so it seems that some of these Jewish teachers were saying to these Jewish Christians, if you really wanted to be strengthened, if you really want to be benefited by God, if you really want to draw closer to God, move closer to Him, then essentially you've got to perform these ceremonies. You've got to live out these practices, these Jewish practices. And our author says, no, no way. In essence, what was being attacked here was the gospel of grace. That was what was being attacked and that was being compromised by some of these believers as they were flirting with the idea of actually forsaking Christ and going back to the old covenantal system. And so church, the same applies to each age. Down through the ages of church history, the gospel of grace has always been attacked, 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 and it will always be as well, sadly, compromised even in the church. 
And our day is no different. You know, I, I, one of my concerns, main concerns as a Christian, is that sometimes we don't care much for good doctrine. You know, sometimes we're not all that concerned about being thorough with doctrine, about doctrine, and really caring much about getting the gospel right. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, we're told that not to be blown here and there by every wind of what? Doctrine, by every wind of teaching. And clearly, the only remedy of being blown here and there or swept away from Jesus is to be grounded in good doctrine. But, but, but sadly, tragically, sometimes some of us don't really give much thought to good doctrine. We, we don't care as much as we ought about knowing the gospel thoroughly, knowing it well. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Because you see, listen, a disliking of doctrine is just a heartbeat away from disloyalty. Because the two go together. If you love the truth and you know the truth, then it's unlikely or more unlikely that you're going to be deceived or tricked or led astray or carried away from Jesus. But if there's a disliking for doctrine, not really caring much for the gospel, getting it right, being thorough in your mind and your heart concerning it, then there is a danger to be disloyal to Jesus Christ. One writer, Stephen Cole, who's a pastor in the US, he writes this. He says, if we buy into the modern idea that doctrinal truth is a personal, is a personal preference of minimal importance, we join these early Hebrews and are in danger of being carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. And who knows, there are some strange teachings out there. Right? The prosperity gospel is a strange teaching, and others too. And so what this guy is saying, Stephen Cohen, our author, is saying is that doctrine really matters. For us to be grounded, we've got to know the truth. You know, a number of years ago, I was in Kurong, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with Kurong, Kurong is a Christian bookstore. It's like Mecca for Christians. It's wonderful. <laughs> and I had to buy a book. Right? Do you like the way I phrased that? I had to buy a book. Most times when I go to Kurong, I don't have to buy books, but I end up with quite a few books. If you've been in my office, you'll know that that's true. But I had to buy this one book, and it, was by, it is by a guy called Wayne Grudem, and it's called Systematic Theology. All right, it's this dense book. Judging by the title, you know it's dense. It's thick. It's like 800 pages, full of theology, full of doctrine. And I was standing in line, kind of proudly sporting my copy of Systematic Theology, waiting to purchase it. And this guy who I knew, he saw me, and he approached me, and we got chatting for a bit. And then he, he noticed this book I was holding. Well, it was hard not to notice because it's like the size of my body. And he said to me, he said, what's that? And I said, I tried to be really humble about it. I tried to, I, I tried to be discreet. I said, it's, it's Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. And he said, he said, oh, theology. I said, yeah, theology. He said, oh, theology, doctrine. He said, I wouldn't worry about that. That's what he said to me. So I, I wouldn't worry about that. Now, was he right to say that? Of course not. Of course not. If we don't worry about getting the gospel right, how can we obey what Jude says in Jude 3? Contend for the faith that was once delivered to us. If we don't know the truth, how can we contend for it? And if we don't contend for it, then likely we'll be swept off our feet maybe and carried away from Christ. And so doctrine is of vital, critical importance because, as I said, a dislike for doctrine is a heartbeat away from disloyalty to Jesus. So this naturally 
logically carries us to our second consideration that our author points out here. And it's this call to loyalty. There's this danger of disloyalty. Now this call to loyalty, which he sounds in verse 13. But for us to really unpack it and understand what's actually involved in being loyal to Jesus in our world, we've got to back up a bit and read from verse 11. So let's do that. Ephes- uh, cha- uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 11. Now I want you to see if you can spot the key term that appears three times in each verse. Verse 11, 12, 13. There's a key term that really highlights what this call to loyalty looks like. See if you can spot it. The high priest carries the blood of the animals, he says, into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies, that is the carcasses, are burned outside the camp. And so, so he forms a comparison here. And so Jesus also suffered outside of the city, the city gate, to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then, here's the call to loyalty, go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Now, did you notice the key term? What's the key term? Outside. If I had chocolates, I'd throw them out, but I don't, so sorry. Outside. Outside, repeats it three times, outside, outside. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Massive implication here. But what exactly is our author getting at? What does he mean? Well, let's follow his logic because it's fairly straightforward. In the Old Testament, the term outside the camp described a realm that was marked by dishonor and defilement and disgrace and unworthiness. Uh, Leviticus 24 verse 14 talks about carcasses actually being taken out so that it wouldn't, they wouldn't defile the, the camp. You remember the Israelites, how they camped out in the wilderness. And also, interestingly, in that text and other texts in the Old Testament, those who were criminals, blasphemers, they were taken out of the camp and executed there so that their sin would be carried away, so that they wouldn't bring disgrace and a reproach upon the people. Now, now here's, the, here's the point that our author's making. Under the old, ca- uh, old sacrificial system, when a sin offering was made, the dead animal's carcass was carried out to this realm of disgrace. Jesus, we're told in verse 12, the true ultimate sin offering was literally crucified outside of the city, which displayed what? That he had been rejected. That he was deemed to be a blasphemer. Someone who was on the outer, remember when Jesus stood before the high council and the high priest charged Jesus, tell us who are you? And what does Jesus say? He says, I'm the son of God. Essentially, I'm I'm God. I'm the incarnate son of God. And the high priest at that tore his robe and said, see, look, we have heard this man's blasphemies. He ought to be crucified, taken outside of the city to be executed because he's a blasphemer. He's disgraced our nation. He's on the outer. And so when our author calls us to go outside the city to be with Christ, to bear his reproach, his disgrace, he's calling for complete loyalty, but a loyalty that looks like potentially experiencing hostility. Because to follow Christ is to be on the outer because Jesus has always been on the outer. And so to follow him may mean being, you know, seen as someone who's oppressive, someone who's, you know, um, uh, uh, dangerous as Jesus was. uh, And we may experience rejection because of that. In other words, our author is calling us, as he was calling them, to stop playing it safe. That's what he's calling for, to stop playing it safe. 
You see, Judaism at this time was largely shielded and protected by the Roman authorities. But Christians, on the other hand, Christianity wasn't. Christianity and Christians were seen as oddbods, misfits. In fact, ironically, they were called by the Romans atheists because they didn't sacrifice, make sacrifices in temples. And so there was a lot of pressure from the Romans and also clearly from some Jewish leaders as well, Jewish people. There was pressure from both sides. And so this author knew that it was a hard thing to be a Christian. And yet he's saying, that's just the way it is in this broken world. Until Jesus comes to restore all things, Jesus will always be on their altar. And to follow him, to be loyal to him, means that you may suffer hostility and rejection. And that's the way it is. And it still is that way. You notice in verse 13 when he says, let us then go to him outside the camp. I mean, he wrote this letter, listen to me, 30, 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. But he speaks as if Jesus is still outside the city. Like he's, he's still out on the outer. He's still rejected as it were. It's not like Jesus is now trendy. You know, in our day and age, Jesus is our homeboy. You know, no, until Jesus restores all things, he will always be on the outer. And so being loyal to him will mean being on the outer in our culture as well. We can't change that. We can't domesticate or sanitize Jesus because if we do, we'll end up with a plastic Jesus. And plastic Jesuses cannot save. They cannot liberate. And so this is what he's calling us to, loyalty that may end up being, you know, you may experience, we may experience a form of hostility, loss of friendships or loss of job or some opportunity. And maybe for some of you, because I know that God has called you to be overseas missionaries. Maybe for you, as you take this pure gospel out to the ends of the earth, it may even cost you your very life. That's the disgrace, you see. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Because you see, the alternative is not an attractive one. Jesus says these words in Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. Listen to what he says. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, if you're loyal, <laughs> I'm going to be loyal to you. It's like I'm going to boast about you in the presence of my Father. But here's the warning. Whoever disowns me is disloyal to me. Before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Challenging. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is the same thing that our author and passage is saying. Stop playing it safe. Stop playing it safe. Because playing it safe is a form of disloyalty, and disloyalty is a form of betrayal, disownership. Who's challenged? I'm challenged. I'm challenged by this because too often I give in to fear. Who's with me? Give in to fear. Opportunity to share the love of Christ with someone, and I yeah, just kind of retreat, kind of back out of it. That's fear. And so this, this takes us to our third point, power. Power. Where, where do we get this power from to remain loyal to Christ in our turbulent world? Because this is what we need, isn't it not? We need some kind of influence, some kind of power that would actually step inside of the fears, often the twin fears of discomfort and people's disapproval to actually overcome and wrestle these fears, making us more loyal followers of Jesus. And so the question is, where does this power come from? How can we actually receive, experience this power? Is it even possible in our turbulent world to remain loyal 
to Jesus? Well, the Bible thinks, seems to think so. Uh, I want to turn to one, one text uh, in the book of Revelation. This wonderful picture of this future people. So it's a future-oriented text where we, we read this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13, 11. He says there of these people, these Christians, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Do you hear that? My prayer is that we would be a part of this group, that we too would not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, what this writer, the Apostle John, in this sense, he's having a vision of these people who are basically essentially saying no, listen, no to self-preservation and yes to persecution. That's staggering. They're saying no to self-preservation, yes to persecution, not because they're chasing persecution, but because they're being loyal to Jesus and persecution is coming their way because of that loyalty. Now, this is supernatural. It's got to be because our natural proclivity and inclination as as human beings is self-preservation. We say yes to self-preservation and no to persecution. And so where do they get the power from? Where will we get the power from to actually live this out and be loyal followers of Jesus Christ? Well, I believe the answer is found right here in our text, in verse 8. This is why we read out verse 8, this most famous verse in this book of Hebrews. Listen to what we read here. Let me unpack this for you in conclusion. Jesus Christ, now we know the text, just rolls off our tongue, but we know, do we know the context? Because if we know the context, I think it will have a whole new meaning, a fresh meaning. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever now. Let's think about this. Jesus is the human name of the Son of God, right? In agreement? It means that he's the Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. The Lord shall save. He's the Savior. But Christ is what? It means king. This is God's Messiah, authoritative Messiah, the King. Now, when you pull these two terms together, Jesus Christ, you get this sovereign Savior, this kingly Savior. And notice it says he is the same, which means he's loyal to his people yesterday, today, like currently, tomorrow, even when you have to go through disappointment and face hostility. He's this kingly Savior on our side as the loyal one, as the committed one, as the dedicated one. In fact, two verses prior, Jesus says, says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. But you know what? I think even though we know these things, when difficulties come, we tend to doubt God. We can. We can question, God, are you really for me? And so to help us understand that he is for us, because I think this is where the power comes from, actually experiencing his loyalty, let me take you to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus' loyalty to us is on full display. Picture this, imagine this, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane under the moonlight, and he's agonizing in prayer, that's what we're told in all the Gospels, agonizing in prayer. He says to his friends, his disciples, please, can you stay with me? Uh, My soul is experiencing death almost. I just want you to be with me, stay with me, to pray with me. And he finds them three times snoring on the job, sleeping. And so he's there by himself under the moonlight, agonizing in prayer. And what is he praying? What is he praying? He's praying, Father, not my will be done, but, but your will be done 
That's the language, listen, that's the language of overcoming temptation. We must never think that Jesus was tempted, never tempted to shrink from death himself. He wasn't some superhuman that just overcame all temptations, you know, without any effort, you know, just kind of easily. No, 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 we're told in Hebrews 4 that he experienced temptation just as we do, yet without sin. And so here he is in the garden praying, praying, agonizing. In prayer, God, not my will, your will be done. Ultimately, he's overcoming this temptation to shrink from death himself. Why? Why? Because of two things that our text reveals. Two things. Number one is found in verse 12. Listen to what we read. And Jesus also suffered, suffered outside the city gate. Why? Why did he agonize in prayer? Why did he go to the cross? Why? Why? Well, we're told to make people holy through his own blood. Wow. You know what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus didn't shrink from death in order to win us from eternal death, to save us from eternal death. That's what he's talking about. That we, we were sinful. We were the unholy ones. We deserved, right, to be on the outer because of our evil, because of our sin. And yet what did Jesus do? He went out, out to find us, find us in our death, find us in our disgrace, find us in our sin, to bring us back. That's why he didn't shrink from death, to save us from eternal death, so that we could experience eternal life. But there's some other beautiful blessing and benefit here mentioned in verse 14. We read this, for here we do not have an enduring city, but, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Church, Jesus didn't shrink from death. He was crucified outside of the city. Which city? The city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which means, Jeru means righteousness. Shalom means peace. He was crucified out this, outside of this city. Why? Why? Well, so that we can have this eternal city. We would enjoy this eternal city, this true righteousness of peace. This is how the Bible concludes with the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God on a new earth, this perfect place of righteousness and peace. And when you bring those two things together, perfect righteousness in all our relationships and peace in all our relationships, what will that mean? It will mean perfect joy, right? Because when you have perfect righteousness and purity and perfect peace, wow, that's chemistry for eternal joy. And Jesus has won this for us by not shrinking from death, but by being crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem, that earthly Jerusalem, so to win for us this heavenly Jerusalem. And so this is how we can be certain and sure that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Because he embraced the cross for you. What is that doing in your heart? Is it, is it just a familiar thing? Yeah, I know that, I know that. Was your heart being warmed again, strangely warmed and wooed by this love of Christ? You see, no wonder why our author says in verse 9, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened or empowered by what? By grace, which is shorthand for the gospel. What we've just covered here, Christ's loyalty to us as we reflect on his loyalty, loyalty for him rises in our hearts. That's how we find the power 
to remain loyal to Jesus in our turbulent world. As we experience his great commitment, his great faithfulness, his great loyalty to us, you see, it's with good reason, for good reason that we called this series Transforming Faith in a what? A faithful, loyal, dependable, committed God. And so let me encourage you. Plunge your heart, baptize your minds and your hearts into the waters of Christ's loyalty for you. He's for you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And what will be the result? Well, loyalty that will issue in a certain type of worship. 30 seconds in conclusion here, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, we're told, verse 15. Through Jesus, again, that shorthand for the gospel. That's the experience of this grace. Through him, therefore, let us continually is Andy, offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Two things, we'll have this vertical worship of God as we are experiencing the grace of God, we'll praise him for his grace and also we'll openly profess his name, we'll be more unashamed as we witness for Jesus in the world because when you experience this grace, what happens? You want to tell others about it, you want to tell others. And so again, to the degree that we experience, grace will be the degree of boldness we'll have in witness. In verse 16, in conclusion, and do not forget to do good and to share with others with such sacrifices, God is pleased when you experience his loyalty, his grace, that makes you what? More generous. The way to become more generous is not by flogging yourself to be more generous and kind. The way to become more generous is by again, baptizing your heart in the generosity of God. His grace towards you. And so as we conclude this sermon, as we conclude this series, as we conclude this book, how about we stand? And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to again make these wonderful truths come alive to us. That we wouldn't treat these things with familiarity. We won't become so familiar with these things. But that we would really know them deep within. Because... I want to be loyal to Jesus, right? I don't want to give in, Lord. I want to fall into the danger and the trap of disloyalty to Jesus. I want to remain loyal to him all the days of my life because he's worthy and this dying world needs Jesus. Not a plastic Jesus, but the true son of God, the true kingly savior. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, for your people, Lord, Lord, we stand here in your presence, amazed again. Lord, I pray that you would amaze us still. Lord, I'm familiar, Lord God. I'm aware that these things can grow very familiar to us. But Lord, our God, I pray that we won't, Lord God, fall into the danger of familiarity. Lord, that where we become lukewarm and just passive and indifferent. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these gospel realities and truly strengthen our hearts, Lord. We've been told that we receive grace, strength as we taste your goodness in the gospel. And so I pray, Lord, oh God, make us, help us experience your grace again and again and again, Lord, in the gospel, in the gospel, so Lord, we may, Lord God, live loyal lives. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.